0: Praise God, praise God, amen. God bless you, you may be seated in Jesus' name. Before we dismiss our children, I just want to mention to our staff, please uh, watch tonight again and the other ones as well, I trust that you have and you are. Uh, Tonight we're going to do what you call it, Pastor Jeremy, uh, Q&R, question and response, not necessarily question and answer, So, uh, but we're going to have a good time tonight answering some questions regarding what we've been teaching, and so the, the, the style will be a little bit different tonight, but it'll still uh, present the gospel in the correct way. I printed 40 of these, uh, so uh, Brother Tim is passing these around. This gives you a picture of what it means to be uh, apostolic and why we are apostolic Pentecostal, And not just the what about that but why as well it goes into uh, looking at how we can see these themes throughout scripture and so i want you to have this i know i sent it to you some of you may have got it today by text uh, in a pdf format our printer was messed up but it obviously is working now thank god and so uh we're giving that to you tonight amen The teens, the youth are staying up here tonight, so we uh, invite you guys to be up here. Your your student pastors will also be up here with us, uh, helping to answer the questions. But at this time, our children can go ahead and be dismissed. Thank you. Why don't we give a big hand to all of our children's ministry staff for all that they do. They do a great job. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. All right. Well... Q and R panel, if you would uh, join me, Pastor Lucas, you're over here, amen, hallelujah. And uh, we're going to uh, dive right into this, we've got uh, a number of questions that that have been asked, and so we want to share them with you. Um, Brother Donnie, you guys, I know, Brother Allen, thank you, you're working on that, I'm going to be sitting here in just a second, that way you can zoom in or whatever you need to do, um, and so obviously for those of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in, and They'll be hearing the answers as well. And so I'm going to moderate by asking the questions, and then our panelists will answer. And so you'll get the question and the answer, and those of you watching online as well uh, will have that ability. So praise God. I do have access to check, so if you have a question while this is going on, send me a text, okay? And uh, if we have time, I'll incorporate it. If not, we're going to do this again at the end of February. And we'll bring out the question then. Amen. Everybody ready? Praise God. Why don't we just bless the Lord together one more time and thank Him for His goodness tonight. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We bless you. We love you. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. I'm wondering if I should start teaching setting down because this feels nice and comfortable. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, I have to pray about it. All right, so we've again, we've got some great uh, questions for tonight, and so we're going to just start. I'm going to take these as they came to me and uh, ask them of the different panelists. So our first question goes to you, Pastor Trevor. Um, if speaking in tongues is essential, why did Paul say to That not all speak in tongues.
1: This is a great question. And for this question, I felt it imperative to take you to the passage in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, where Paul does in fact question have all the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Uh, To give reference to this in another version, which would match up with the question asked, uh, the New English translation or the NET version says it like this. Not all have the gifts of healing, do they? Not all speak in tongues, do they? Not all interpret, do they? And what is imperative to this is context. If you take a look at the entirety of 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 1, Paul begins to transition to teaching about spiritual gifts and how the Corinthians were ignorant of those gifts. Um, As we continue to read through, we will we will read that there are many spiritual gifts but all come from the spirit of god for the benefit of the church if you read through the chapter you will find nine of these spiritual gifts and then jumping down to verse 12 paul writes that the body is one with many members and all members of one body being many are one body so also is christ and then in verse 13 paul writes for by one spirit are we all baptized there it is, into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So, what does this tell the reader? It's twofold. We are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, meaning that if I am to be born again, I must be born again of the water and the Spirit. And at that point, we are all one body, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, In other words, the same Spirit, the one Spirit, fell on both the Jews and Gentiles alike, which, mind you, were not groups that necessarily talked or got along with one another. It is also that which fell on the bond or free, and all were made to drink into one Spirit. So, if you were to stop right there, Paul sets the Corinthians straight, telling them that the Spirit is essential and is for everyone. And remember, too, that the Corinthians were a saved church. And as we move down to verse 28 and Paul writes about the members all being of one body and what I had just mentioned, Paul then goes into the different functions of the various members of the body. Paul then lists the offices and the gifts that God has placed in the church as a whole. First apostles, uh, then prophets, then teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues… And I want you to, and what I want you to take note of is that because if you read verse 10, go back up a little bit, we read of diverse kinds of tongues and what? Interpretation of tongues. So, diverse t- kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues are hooked together there. So, arguably and contextually speaking, when Paul asks if all speak in tongues in reference to the rest of this chapter, which does reference tongues and interpretation then Paul would be correct in his question. Not all speak in tongues for the edification of the body. On the same token, not all interpret the tongues for the edification of the body. If all did, then there would be no order in the church. If all did, then there would be no need for Paul to explain these things to the Corinthians, which were likely experiencing these services with tongues and interpretation already. Now, I do want to follow up with this. Receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is something that is evidenced by speaking in tongues or in speaking another language. This, as Peter wrote in Acts 2, is something that all must do if we want to be born again.
0: Very well said. (laughs) A whole mouthful there, but a great answer and a contextual answer at that. Sister Courtney? Our next question comes to you. Why did Jesus pray to the Father if He is the Father?
2: Uh, I know Pastor Trevor already said that that was a great, those are great questions and these all are great questions. Um, and this is one that I definitely had had myself um, when first trying to understand truly oneness of God. Um, you know, in order to understand completely, uh, we have to look at the Bible and see would uh, see that Jesus was fully God and He was fully flesh at the same time. When Jesus prayed to the Father, specifically in Matthew 26, he's praying for the cup to pass from him. Um, Jesus is God and was well aware of what was going on in this situation um, and was well aware that he was going to die on the cross, um, but him still being fully flesh did cry out. Um, he had to be fully flesh or and fully deity, fully God, in order to be our perfect sacrifice um, or our kinsman redeemer. Jesus also is the ultimate example for all of us, um, for us to follow. He loved, he taught, he prayed, um, he fasted, he prayed um, to God also, which is what the question was. It would be pretty odd if our example didn't pray like he calls us to do. Um, Additionally, any belief in God praying to another God would then put one God higher than the other, and then this would also blow up the belief in Trinitarianism, believing in three co-equal gods.
0: Oh, very well. Thank you. Good answer. Brother Jeremy Cole, Pastor Jeremy Cole, if the return of Jesus is after the tribulation, doesn't that mean we would know the day and hour of his return?
3: Okay. So I, when I looked at this initially, there's so many ways that you can approach this question. But for the sake of trying to be concise and clear in my answer, I want to answer it like this. First and foremost, we need to understand what that phrase day and hour actually means. We use that term day and hour almost somewhat um, metaphorically to mean knowing the time. Time not being clearly defined there, meaning I can say the time as in I know that sometime in the month of December it's going to happen, or sometimes we use that same expression to mean that tomorrow at 3 p.m. is when it's going to happen. So when we're addressing this question, we have to ask what did the scripture mean by using this phrase, day nor hour. And I am not going to butcher and try to pronounce the words in Greek. So if you would like to look them up, let me know. I will give them to you. Um, But in Matthew 24, 29 through 36, I'm not going to read the passages there, but that's essentially where this question is coming from. The word that is used here for for day literally means day, a period of night and day. So it is literally referring to a 24-hour period. Period, right. But then it goes beyond that and the term that's used here for the word hour, again not going to try to pronounce it, is defined specifically as a definite space of time, an hour, the particular or exact time for an event. The reason why that matters is, if you are asking the question, and whoever posed it or whoever else may have this question also, I'm sure many do, if you are asking, can we know the exact minute that God is going to split the sky, the answer is no. Number one, that would make Jesus a liar, because Jesus himself said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. But by understanding what the phrase here means, it actually helps to clarify, because what is being referenced here is knowing the exact moment. And why does that matter? Why does it matter if I know the day, but not maybe the, the, or I should say maybe the week, but not the exact moment on an exact day it's going to happen? Well, it really comes down to two things. And the first and foremost thing is this. In Matthew 25, which is a continuation of what Jesus is talking about here, there's a parable that's given of the ten virgins. And in that particular story. You have five virgins who were not wise. Scripture says they did not have oil in their lamp. They were not watching for the return of the groom. And then you have five virgins whose lamps were full of oil. Both groups were asleep. Both groups kind of got, I don't want to say a surprise, but that's kind of what Scripture seems that, oh, this event happened. Let's get up. Let's get ready to go. Only those that had the oil in their lamp and were ready were able to make it if we were to turn to a passage and we say, okay, 2012, December 1st, we can live like we want to now and wait till then to be ready, which goes against all of what scripture talks about. What we do know, what we can know is this. Jesus spells out very clearly in Matthew 24 that the tribulation happens then the rapture. Now, if you say, well, wait, if I know that the, the tribulation is forty two months, doesn't that mean I know then? I would challenge you to turn to Revelation chapter 10. Very interestingly, it's the seventh trumpet that's blown that heralds this event. What's kind of unique about the seventh trumpet is the way that it begins. Right. It doesn't say as in the first trumpet he blew and this happened. It says in the days of the seventh trumpet. Marking there is a span of time that may not be clearly defined, but within the days of the seventh trumpet, all of these things will come to pass.
0: Yes. Amen. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, There's a follow-up question on the previous one. And Courtney, if you want to tackle this, it's kind of off the fly here or if one of the other panelists. But uh, what are some scriptures that explain that Jesus is the Father?
2: Did anybody want to tackle it first?
4: <laughs> Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. It, uh, it is part of my uh, answer, which I'll reference later, but uh, Jesus is the Father because Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, Wonderful is God. Counselor is the Holy Spirit, the Mighty God. So, right. Jesus' name is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Uh, John 5:42 also says, I have come in my Father's name. Mm. And so, those are the two okay. scriptures I have that will follow me.
2: Yeah, and then I have um, one of the ones that is very clear, is John 10:30. I and my Father are one.
0: Very good. Pastor Jeremy, did I see your hand? No, I was, I was putting my water down. Okay.
2: <laughs> I mean, I can come there home first, but I, I was just putting water
0: <laughs> Well, I wanted to give you time if you wanted to, to. Okay. All right. Thank you for that, everybody. Okay. So back to our regularly scheduled questions we have here. Um, where do we go? There we are. Uh, Pastor Lucas, this is going to be for you. And also I want Courtney to chime in uh, if you would as well. Why does... Most outward holiness appear to impact ladies more.
5: So leave it to a guy
0: to start out with this question, right? (laughs) Um, (laughs) He did try to pivot to Sister Courtney, but she asked if he would answer first. (laughs) Um,
5: And since it has to deal with clothing, I did have just one other little remark. Do you guys all realize that Jeremy wears hey dudes? that's for the teenagers out there, just want to point that out, because my teenager couldn't believe that my wife would wear hey dudes. But that has nothing to do with holiness. <laughs> it just has to do with being comfortable. Um, but holiness, you know, I, I get the point of this question, and so I don't want to stretch it too far, but um, holiness, first and foremost, is God is holy. And so we're looking to be more and more like him. And We're looking to say, hey, God, I I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. What is it that you want me to do? And we each have challenges in our life. And so you you may be like uh, come from a background of liking to really drink. I did not. I've never, ever, ever drank. I hardly do NyQuil, right? And so that's not an area of struggle for me. Um, However, it might be an area of struggle for some of you. So when you deal with that and you let that go, one, you're giving worship to God in that action um, but when it comes to um, outward holiness um, it applies actually both to men and women yes. um, but you will find that there's certain things that are more common to guys and things that are more common to women as far as struggles go so I'm not going to say that there isn't guys out here that don't struggle with their clothing all right? and what kind of clothing they wear and there may be some guys out here that struggle with makeup and now you guys are all going to look around at each other right um, <laughs> But you'll see predominantly that appearance seems to have more of a stronger struggle for women than men. And that men tend to have more of a stronger struggle as a, as a whole, as a group. And so Paul, when he's addressing this topic to Timothy, who's going to be pastoring people, in First Timothy chapter 2, he begins to unfold some struggles for guys and some struggles for girls. And so he's like, hey, there's some things you probably need to immediately address. We can't address everything, but we are going to address a few topics. And so if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and and you mark this, um, you'll see that in uh, verse 8, he says to men, I would therefore that men everywhere, uh, um, that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so some things men struggle with there are praying, you might say leading their families, and getting angry. He didn't really talk to them a whole lot about their appearance, jewelry, and clothing, because it's not as, that wasn't the immediate issue. But that doesn't mean men get to go out and just deck themselves all out and dress however they want, wear the tightest clothes. But then he says, hey, I would that women adore themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls. Why? Because we're trying to put on the chastity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what you see in our society is that it tears down on men and their identity, and seems to. We see men that deal with anger, and then we see that women will often deal with appearance. And so, Paul was addressing those things. But let me add out there that the outward reflects the inward, not the other way around. And so, That's if right. you could appear outwardly as being great, but you've got to have Jesus here. But that doesn't mean that you can say, I have Jesus here and not have him out there. Um, I'll go ahead and pause there and, and turn to Courtney and see if there's some items you'd like to add.
2: Sure. I echo everything that you have said. Um, I think, you know, we have to look at it like this. God created man and woman, male and female. He knows he created us a certain way for certain reasons. It's not a surprise to everybody that, you know, women tend to um, connect a lot more more likely to be connected emotionally. Um, They may not be as tempted by appearance, while men are a lot more tempted physically, or that's how they connect, if that makes sense. So it doesn't surprise, it shouldn't surprise us that when God lays out, um, you know, or what the passage that Pastor Lucas just read, when he lays that out, that he's looking at the heart of the man, because that is something that he is more um, likely to fall into. Again, echoing what Pastor Lucas said, that doesn't mean that I don't get angry. And that doesn't mean that Jeremy needs to make sure that he covers his body. As funny as that sounds, you know, we live in this world that is so um, convoluted with, well, I'm a girl, I'm a boy, I don't, I'm not really sure. And you know, I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but how much more so do we need to make sure that we are having gender distinction? In Deuteronomy 22, I believe it's verse 5, it says that a woman should not wear what a man wears and a man should not wear what a woman wears. And so that still stands firm today. If God if it was an abomination back then, he doesn't want it now. He doesn't like it now. Mm-hmm. And so as, um, you know, when we look at this question, it of course it's a question that women ask, you know. It does feel like sometimes, well, I've got to check this box and check this box. But realistically, it's because of how we're created. And so I think that, um, you know, as women, if we can look at holiness as a protection and not like a fence that we can't cross, um, it starts with our hearts. It starts with our attitudes. Just like Pastor Lucas said, holiness starts on the inside. So if you can get your inside right and reach out to God and understand why he wants you to be holy and to protect you, then the outward things will be a lot easier.
5: Um, and I appreciate that you referenced distinction because right now, ladies, you might feel like, wow, this really isolates me down because you're focused on what you would, be. right now you're focused on yourself perhaps, right, and the, how this <laughs> applies. But god relishes distinction why because human nature in this world is anti-god and so he's saying hey this is my people and i want you to be this way and i want you to be distinct and the church is distinct not for the sake of appearing different but to demonstrate our lord jesus christ and so ladies when you're distinct in your home and and there's certain things that are distinct between men and women when you men and women when you are embrace distinction because you're embracing your Lord Jesus Christ, you're a testimony to to this world. And ladies, it doesn't appear readily with men, but when you walk out that door, and I have three daughters and my wife, you're a testimony immediately to the world, a silent witness. And I value that, and I appreciate that. And in turn, what you are is your walls around your home, your protection for your home. You're a defense to your home. So Um, Please, embrace distinction for the glory of God. Not for distinction in itself, but for the glory of God, and and be that protection.
2: I know that we're talking about holiness here, uh, but he did mention distinction, and so this is one small point that I think is very important um, and has helped me immensely as a woman, is God created man and woman, just like I had said. Men and women act very different women tend to be much more nurturing. I'm not saying men can't be, but you see, you know, a mother in a home acts different than a father in the home. God is not going to give an attribute to a woman that God doesn't have. So really men and women are a combination of the attributes of God. So never look at any of those attributes that you have as less than, uh, you know, I may not be as good as a man. And again, I'm not going off of woman power here. That's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> but I'm trying to have us understand right. that it is important. The distinction, we should embrace that because God has called us to. God put men and women on this earth for a reason.
0: Very good. Very good. Uh, just myself, I'll follow up real quickly on that. We chose to teach our children, um, and, and our main thing that we would say is we do what we do because we belong to Jesus. And so starting with the relationship aspect and kind of tying into what both of you said. So thank you. Um, there's also been a follow-up answer from the audience. Another scripture of the Father is First John 2, 1, which says, in part, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So amen. Thank you for that. Uh, Brother Pastor Jeremy Miller, our student pastor, since Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Matthew twenty nineteen, why do we baptize in the name of Jesus?
4: It's a great question. <laughs> uh, I, in my walk with God, I have struggled with this question. Just as Courtney mentioned earlier, I was baptized in the titles. I was baptized in the name of uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and God had to reveal it to me why to be baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, let's read that verse first. We'll start with that. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So this is the great commission from Jesus. And I first want to qualify my response with Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen, which says all Scripture, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we cannot take one scripture out of context and create a doctrine out of that without understanding its full context and qualifying it with the rest of scripture. We cannot prove anything of any depth with just one scripture. So, it being, this passage being in Matthew, there are two other gospels that record the same event, uh, Mark and Luke. Mark 16:16 16, 16 says, I'm going to just pull a few things out, but you can read the whole verse. Uh, it says, "He that believeth and is saved sh- uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, uh, but he that believeth not shall be damned, and these shall follow them that believe." in my name. They cast out devils, they shall speak with other tongues. So if we cast out devils and speak with other tongues, in Jesus' name we should also be baptized in Jesus' name. Mm. Um, then he opened uh, Luke twenty four, forty five to forty seven, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures, and saith and said unto them, Thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, which is Jesus, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then Acts 1, 4 to 8 also covers the same uh, point, the same time. Uh, In Jesus' name they were supposed to do his will the word name in the original Greek, which, again, I'm not going to say it and butcher it, uh, was, in Matthew, was written means, the name is used for everything which the name covers. By baptism, to bind anyone to recognize and publicly acknowledge the dignity and authority of one. Because God is one. The name is singular. It is not the names of it is the name of. So, what is the Father's name? We talked about this earlier. Isaiah 9, 6. John 5, 42. The Father's name is Jesus. Yeah. What is the Son's name? Jesus. Matthew 1, 21 says, And he shall, and she shall bring forth the Son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What is the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus. But the Comforter, uh, John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, speaking of Jesus, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Therefore, we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts two thirty eight. I didn't even put this in my notes. <laughs> I don't know. That's the one verse we... Acts 2.38. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Nope, that's not Acts 2.38. That's Acts 1. 8. Acts 1. And Peter said unto them, okay. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the there remission is. of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I promise I have that memorized. So, <laughs> I promise. To close, to close, uh, I know I have some students in the audience and... Uh, and they don't know how to write a check or probably have never wrote a check. Bro. But I know I have some adults in the audience that have wrote a check. And so if I write a check to you and sign it, the son of Ron and Laura, can you go cash that check? No. No. What if I sign it, the husband of Courtney? Could you cash it? No. No. Or if I put student pastor of TCOO, could you cash it then? The answer is No. I have to sign my name. My name gives you the authority to cash the check, just like Jesus' name gives us authority to enter into heaven.
0: Amen. Pastor Lucas, I know you've got something to add just a minute on that, but uh, your answer, Pastor Jeremy, was reminding me of a time that I was uh, back in 2019 when I went to Africa, Senegal, and the Gambia. And we were teaching in the Gambia to a group of pastors who wanted to hear the truth. And when we got to this very topic, Brother Craig Sully, who is the missionary there, quoted, and I believe it's in Colossians where it says, all that you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he asked him, he said, when you bless your food, do you bless in the name of Jesus? Yes. When you pray for the sick, do you pray that? Yes, you know, uh, when you, you know, and he just kept going down the list. He said, well, then why wouldn't you baptize in the name of Jesus? And there was a collective moment where a group of about 30 pastors were like, oh, yeah, and the light bulb went off. And so in the name of Jesus. So Matthew 20, 19, and then back to you, Jeremy. Lucas, then Jeremy.
5: Yeah, I totally, uh, when you are uh, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ or you're baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, you would put on the name of whoever you were baptized into. Um, so... Uh, then that might give you pause. You go, wait a second, what about Matthew 28, 19? And the thing I wanted to add is, uh, and then, um, well, I'll say the 20th century, but ni- around 19, 19- between 1911, 1915, right in there, you saw within this country a, 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 a massive movement towards the realization of the oneness of God. Right. And it stemmed actually from Matthew 28, 19. Because when people realized uh, in the, within the assembly of gods that there was a, a that the early church baptized in the name of jesus and they're like wait a second you know look at this they every time they baptized it was in the name of jesus what about matthew 28 19 and they sat down and began to study it more and they said wait a second now we really realize what he means by father son and holy spirit this is jesus christ and 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 this is just the the offices or the roles that he was fulfilling. But in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why they baptized in the name of Jesus. They understood who Jesus was. That he literally was God revealed in flesh, not just an offspring. But it was God. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Matthew twenty eight nineteen was actually the impetus that helped them understand the oneness of God.
4: Yes. It- yeah, it, Matthew twenty eight nineteen as a oneness apostolic is not something to be scared of That's at right. all. The humanity of Christ is not something we should be right. scared of. Um, also, I did not, I neglected to say this, but every time somebody was baptized in the Book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament, it is in the name of Jesus. And if you come up to me after and ask me, I have a list of scriptures to give to you. So that is all.
0: Excellent. Um, <clears throat> With this, there's a question on baptism and and Pastor Jeremy, Cole, I'm going to go to you for this one. The scripture says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And uh, the question would then be, uh, if you're talking to someone who may not believe that baptism is essential and have quoted this verse as possibly their argument that uh, baptism is unessential, how would you respond to help this person be able to witness to their friend and, and prove that, in fact, baptism is essential?
3: So it's, it's a good question, and I'll tell you, though, I, I feel like a lot of times what can happen to, to all of us, I've been guilty of it, I think we all have at some point, you stumble across a verse, and you read the verse, and it maybe doesn't make perfect sense to you in the moment, and then you sit there rereading and rereading, and you're like, I don't know what you're meaning by this, God. Most of the time, if you will back up and see who is being talked to, what's being talked about, what is the context of the discussion, it will become very clear. And this is one of those particular times where when you just back up just to the beginning of this chapter, it, it actually makes perfect sense what Paul is talking about. So this comes from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter one is, is where the reference is from here. And specifically, I believe it's verse 17. I didn't write it down.
2: Okay.
3: Uh, verse 17 is what um, is being quoted here. But what is Paul talking about in this chapter? So, Paul, as he does in a lot of his epistles, if you, if you go through the epistles that Paul writes, he has a very um, almost standard formula that he does a lot. He first starts with a greeting. Hey, everybody, good to see you again. You know, missed you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> What's
1: up? Then,
3: then he will generally go into talking about the goodness of God and the importance of remembering Christ's sacrifice right. and the, the importance of the gospel. You see that repeated over and over again. But but with that, the other part that always comes from it is Paul then will point out an issue um, to that particular church, why he's writing this epistle to them. And so when Paul says this, you actually have to back up like six verses to see what he's even telling them about. Paul is saying, listen, I've gotten word that some of you guys are bragging to one another, saying, Well, I got baptized by Paul, and I got baptized by Peter, and I got baptized by Jesus. So Peter's issue here has nothing to do at all with the act of baptism. What it has to do with is the fact that people were putting the importance on the person doing the baptizing and not the power that was giving them the cleansing from the baptism. And so Peter or Paul says, he said, is Christ divided? You know, no. You know, is, is, it, is it me, my name, Paul, giving you power? No, of course not. It's Christ. So then he goes, he says in Paul fashion, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you crazy people. <laughs> Minus a couple that he lists out by name. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the point that he is making out here is not in any way reducing the importance of baptism. How do we know that? Well, number one, you can read in the rest of the chapter here, Paul never says stop baptizing people. What Paul is telling them, stop looking at who put you under the water, and instead look at the one who died on the cross yes. that gave that water power in the first place now let's go to the book of romans very briefly here romans also written by paul it's another epistle written to the church at roman or at rome and what he says in the book of romans is this he says that like christ died so do we die with him yeah unto repentance and then it says in that same chapter, I believe it's chapter 6, I'm fairly sure, I should have wrote down the exact chapter, but in, in, in that passage, he says this, he said, if we are buried with Christ, then we will rise with Christ. Mm. Now, there's what's said, and what's also then inferred from that. If I say, if you go with me to the store, you will get a cookie, right, to my kid, they understand that to mean If I don't go to the store with him, I'm not going to get a cookie, right? right? That's what Paul's saying here. He said, listen, if you are baptized into the death of Christ, that just like Christ then arose in the newness of life, so will you also arise in newness of life. You can't rise from the dead if you've never died and been buried. And that's what Paul teaches. And it's not just in Romans. I mean, he really does this throughout all of his epistles. Usually within the first uh, two chapters, he will kind of mention this again and again. But each epistle, if you'll pay attention, there's generally a theme that he's trying to correct in that particular letter. In this particular one, it had everything to do with stop fighting with each other about who's better, look at Christ, and move the gospel forward.
0: Amen. A a follow-up to this um, if you're okay to take this one too, Pastor Jeremy, would be, what would you say to someone who does not believe, and I believe Pastor Jeremy Miller referenced Mark 16, 16 earlier, uh, he that believes baptized shall be saved, he that believe not shall be damned. What would you say to someone who does not believe that that verse teaches the necessity of baptism? So,
3: the, the first thing, and if I, if I remember correctly, um, there was some other reference I, I thought, maybe it was in a different conversation I had, and, and I see this a lot, is where, where someone will say, well, look, Paul or this writer says you should do this over here, but in the Gospels we see Jesus saying X, Y, and Z. And what, what happens in that is people will try to pit the two people against each other as though it's Jesus' words competing with whatever apostles were. But here's the issue that I take with that. The apostles may have wrote the words on the page, but they aren't the ones who authored the word or the power behind it. If you look at what's said in the book of Acts, where they are told that you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus, someone could come behind and say, well, yeah, 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 I know that's what they said in Acts, but what about what Jesus said in the gospel? Okay, well, let's back up just a little bit. The book of Luke, chapter 24. It is the conclusion of, of Christ's earthly ministry, physically walking with the disciples. And the way that Jesus concludes this is he pulls together his disciples. And the scripture says he is now risen from the dead. He appears to them, and he says something, and I'm going to slightly paraphrase here, but Luke 24, last one-third of the chapter, if you want to look at it. He, it says that he, meaning Jesus, opened their, meaning the disciples, understanding of the scripture. Yes. Now... These are the people who have been walking with him his entire ministry. Uh These are people who throughout their life have likely heard the Torah and things quoted. And yet, for some reason, we still needed to hear that Jesus opened their understanding concerning the Scripture. Well, what did he mean by that? If you read on, it says of why it was necessary for Christ to die for their sins. And the way he concludes that is says listen now you understand now that your mind and your spiritually attuned to what the verses mean to what all of this prophecy was pointing toward now that you understand that now you can go out and do your mission because what we see in Acts chapter 1 which was also written by Luke Acts chapter 1 is a short recap of Luke 24 We should look at them as a continuation of the story and not a separation of the story. Because what happens here in Acts chapter 1 is we see that they have received power, right? How do they know to wait for that power? How did they know that they were supposed to go to Jerusalem to receive this power that would help them carry out their mission? Well, Jesus himself told them in Luke 24, you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to wait in the upper room, and you will be endued with power from on high. So in Acts 2 and 42, when it says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, they don't mean Peter's doctrine. What they mean is they continue steadfastly in that which was revealed by God himself into their spirit that they then carried forth until the end of their life. So there's no... This person said it. It's not important. This person said No, no. It's all the word of God from the beginning to the end. Yes. If he said it's necessary, it's necessary.
0: I like how you said that there's many writers but one author. Amen. Pastor Lucas, we have one more question. And if you could take this last question for us tonight. What does predestination mean if I'm predestined for this, fill in the blank, then do I have a choice?
5: All right, so we are starting at 751, so I won't take terribly long with it. But I do wanna just, if you don't mind, close out what Jeremy was saying there with, with a thought for you all, when it talks about salvation, believing, baptism, and infilling the Spirit. Um, when I married my wife over here, and I stood up here on this, this very platform, when was I married? Was it when I put the ring on her finger? Was it when I said I do? Was it when I got to give her that kiss? Is it when we ran down the aisle, or is it when we signed the marriage license? See, we could reference all those things, and sometimes when you read Scripture and you read one passage versus another, like Jeremy was saying, it might just talk about in general to people who understood about believing. And other times, it might get in some details about the repentance or the baptism or the infilling of the Spirit. But all those different phrases and terminologies are all referring to the same thing, and that is your marriage is the, is the action and the, the, the beginning of that relationship with Jesus Christ and so instead of trying to dissect it say what must I do to be saved instead of running away from the preaching and teaching and saying what can I get away with say hey if I'm responsible to tell somebody how they can get to heaven then I'm gonna do it according to Scripture um, so I think that feeds right into predestination because we've just talked about salvation and the need for salvation and yet If I believe in the fact that I'm saying, well, if everything's already predetermined, then what do I have to worry about? Um, That brings people to the book of Romans, usually. Romans chapter 28 and verse 29 and verse 30. Um, And I have that uh, right in here. It says, uh, uh, well, if I can get it highlighted myself um, in my notes, since I have a few notes here. Um, But it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Um, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these also he justified, and whom he justified he also glorified. And so you say, wait, he, he predestined this? So it's, it's all going to happen? Um, we can actually take encouragement from this passage and And Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we like to quote, but we separate it from the rest of this. And it says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we rejoice in that. But what this passage is telling you, first off, if you will embrace God, if you will enter into salvation, if you will enter into relationship with God, he takes your life that was headed for destruction. And he says, I've already predestined a way of salvation for you. And so if you will follow me, this is what the outcome will be like, and I will work it for good. But in this passage on Paul, um, Paul was a very uh, uh, he was complicated writer, and he was, he was good at writing. And so he says, I'm not just going to leave you here. I've talked about all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And you then say, now I've been living for God, and I failed, and I messed up, and I sinned. And he takes chapters 9 through 11, and he writes about the history of Israel. And and if you want some fancy terms, you'd call this an exemplum. It's an example. And you, you almost pass over, but he's saying, hey, let me tell you about how we got here. And he writes about the history of Israel. And how that God had de- designed them and pulled them out and, and, and destined them to bring about this, this, uh, this revealing to the world, this plan of salvation. And they, in the hardness of their heart, they didn't see Jesus for who He was. And I, and I have passages here I could read. But in their hardness, uh, um, he, uh, uh, they, they didn't see Jesus. And yet God used their hardness to bring salvation to the world. And and so what would happen when they obey and believe? But then Paul goes on and he lets us know that uh, uh, salvation is for all who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's not saying, hey, we get away with, it doesn't matter if I believe or not believe, I'm predestined. Instead, what he's saying is two things. One, if you'll follow after him, he'll work it for good. Two, if he could work disobedience for good, how much will he work obedience for good, and so we can be excited to know that as a Christian, when we fail and mess up, God's not lost His control. But if you'll turn to Him, He will even work your your problems and your failures right. for good. And when you fit back under Him, He will then predestine you for hope and salvation and for eternity. Amen. Um, I have more I could say, but I guess I'll <laughs> pause there. Okay. And I don't know if anyone wants to add to this.
0: Pastor Trevor. Yeah,
1: so I'd just like to close out our time together. Thank you to all of our pastors up here today for your your uh, wisdom in all of these questions that have been asked, and we hope that you all have um, gleaned some wisdom from that tonight. I just want to close out and just sharing my testimony briefly. I I don't have time to go into all the nitty gritty details, but uh, growing up, I would I would be in and out of church. I would be I would be in and out of the local Lutheran church and. You know, the only reason I would go to church was to get that Pepsi and to get that free pa- that free pizza, you know. I would just go to do that. We would have to go and, you know, uh, recite the Lord's Prayer and do things like that, which I never really did very well. Um, and then I just, I, I stopped going to church for a while. And then I, I thought, in fifth grade, I, I started going to an Assembly of God church. Uh Assembly of God church they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So I started going to that church, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is... This is where I need to be at. This is is where I need to be at. And I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I thought, yes, finally, I'm set. But I wasn't. There was a longing for something more. Did I know what it was at that time? No. Do I know what it is now? Yes. There was a longing for something more, and I, I was in and out of that church. You know, I, I, I was not a, you know, I was not a faithful churchgoer, if you will. Um, I would only go because the van would pick me up and take me to church, and you know, we would we would hear the preaching, we would sing the songs. I even played the bass guitar in the band. But there was something more. There was an emptiness, and it wasn't until. You know, I I get a bit worked up talking about it, but there there was a moment in 2011, 2012 where things got really dark, really dark. And I was left alone physically, what I thought spiritually, mentally, all those things. But it was at that time, it was at that time or I was not alone. I reached out to God who never left me nor forsaked me. I reached out to the Lord and began to study his word because it was all I had to hang on to. But it was all that I needed. And he began to show me these things, to show me these scriptures that, that taught about being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and about, about being born again of the water and spirit. That's not the end of the story, though, because I met this wonderful girl. And her father said, if you're going to date my daughter, you're going to know what we believe, Brother Chris (laughs) Kahn. And so I listened. I'm like, I'm all ears. I want to date this girl. But God has so much more in store for me. As he was telling me those things, as I was sitting in the basement of my former pastor, just tears were crying. I was crying tears. I was, tears were falling down my face. He was telling me all of these things that God had been showing me the whole time. And I didn't waste any time. I, I believe that was, I don't know what weekend that was, but it was not very long after that that I, that I came to the church of Omaha. Ryan Neer was here preaching the, uh, a revival of some kind. I don't remember what he preached, but I do remember what happened to me that day. It was March, ter- March 3rd, 2013, where, where I was standing right over there with Brother South sitting almost. There were not as many chairs over here, they were a little different. But God got a hold of me. God got a hold of me. I was slain in the Spirit, I'm telling you. Huh. And Brother Near, somebody came over to me and said, You've been baptized in the titles, you need to be baptized in the name the name above all names. And so there I was. There I was. There I was baptized in Jesus' name. There I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. My story's not over. It's still continuing. Follow the truth. The truth will set you free. Why don't we pray together as we close? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your Word, which has the power to save, the power to heal, the power to deliver, the power to do these things, Lord. Oh, God, we thank you for it. Lord, I ask right now that you'd continue to open our minds to your understanding, open our minds to your Word. Lord, let us be hearers of your Word and doers of your Word. Lord, and if there be any questions that we would not be afraid to ask, but that we would seek the wisdom that we need, oh, God, to understand Your Word better. Lord, I pray for every heart and mind in this place as they continue forth this week, this month, this year, and so on and so forth. Lord Jesus, that You would continue to move on them, that You would press into them as they press into Your Word and as they press into You and seek You more. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Thank you all for being here tonight. I do want to say real quick that be in prayer for Bishop Powell as he's going to be in Iowa this week preaching for the Rippies. So praise God for that. Be in prayer for him. And we look forward to seeing you all on Sunday morning at 1030. God bless you.